Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us tonight on Facebook. Welcome to Spirit of Grace Church. And uh, we're so glad that you're able to be with us and to be able to share the word of the Lord together. It's a warm day in Coon Rapids, but we're thankful that we're able to uh, open up the word of the Lord and draw a little bit closer together to him. I'm asking you, if you would, tonight, just to open this uh, time together with a word of prayer. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. Thank you for the opportunity to be together. We ask you to bless this evening. Allow your word to come alive. Fill me up and pour me out upon your hearers today, God, and we'll be careful to give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's so good to um, be able to uh, be with you on the technology that we have, and we're so glad that you're able to join us. We welcome you to us tonight. I want to pick up uh, a series that I started several weeks ago, probably five weeks ago or so, and we kind of tied together the beginning of Jesus' ministry to his uh, warning or his declaration to the churches in the book of Revelation and talking about the characteristics of God. And so tonight I want to talk a little bit about the third characteristic that the Lord describes in the um, Beatitudes of Matthew 5, and then he also addresses with the church of Pergamos in Revelation chapter 2. And so let's just read one verse here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. It said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then in Revelation 2, I want to read a few verses there. Verse number 12 of chapter 2 says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught uh, Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, to commit fornication. So have you also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. And I want to talk about the concept of meekness and what that really is. And uh, trying to follow along here and have people join. Welcome to Paul and Linda on our Zoom uh, broadcast as well. And uh, I want to talk about the concept of meekness and the characteristics of meekness. Um, we as a church, uh, we want to be spirit filled, spirit-led, and Christ-like. And in order for that to happen, in order for us to be that, we've got to take on the characteristics that is laid out in Scripture about who he was and what he possessed. And one of the things that Jesus had uh, was meekness. 
And he shared that in Matthew 5, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And then he also speaks that to the church in Pergamos. Um, I, I read a story about a young man by the name of Robert Evan, or Evan Roberts, uh, from late in the 1800s. And he was somebody from Wales. He was a very young man. And he went to church, and his pastor told him, uh, Evan, never miss a service because you don't know when you will meet God. Never miss a service when you uh, because you don't know when you'll meet God. And Evan took this to heart, and so he did not miss a service. He was very young at the time, and all through his uh, formative years into his teenage years, he never missed a service. He walked to and from the services. Every time they had a service, he was there. And he decided that he wanted to go into the ministry, but he wasn't much of a book learner. And so, uh, but he understood what prayer was. He understood who the spirit was. And he began to pray a prayer in his teenage years. And that the, the prayer was simply, God bend me, God bend me. And uh, as he progressed, and he, he decided that he wanted to go into the ministry. And so he kept asking his pastor, you know, I really want to say something to the church. I want to preach. I want to, I want to teach. And, and the pastor <clears throat> said, well, listen, after a, our, our Monday night prayer meeting, um, I'll let you, whoever wants to stay, then you can say something after the service is over. And about 17 people stayed that night and um, listened to Evan Roberts uh, minister. And something took place in those 17 people that eventually <clears throat> it began one after the other to where Evan Roberts was speaking on a consistent basis and a revival sprung forth from Wales uh, that, <clears throat> I mean, went, it ended up going worldwide all because Evan Roberts was willing to pray the prayer, God bend me, and then not... Uh, waver from the decision that he made and uh he tells the story about the ridicule that he had from friends because when friends were going to have a good time going to play sports doing all those kinds of things it was his sacrifice and his obedience to god in going every time that there was a service he wasn't going to miss because he didn't want to miss meeting god and when he finally did meet god god made a change in him gave his life over to the Lord, began to preach, and a great revival sprung forth out of the ministry of Evan Roberts. And uh, that that kind of, I don't know, it, it kind of shakes me a little bit, I guess, because I'm thinking nowadays if we tried to have a revival service on an off night, on a Monday night or a Tuesday night, how many people would actually show up? And uh, But back in those days, there would be... Um, people that would come as often as possible to be at the service, to be together. And when that would happen, um, revival sprang forth. And I believe that revival sprang forth because Evan Roberts manifest the characteristic of the Lord of meekness. And uh, I'll explain what I, what I mean by that here in just a minute, a few minutes. It will tie it together here as, as we go forward. But, uh, in the midst of being meek, I want to make a statement that I hope that you remember, um, and that is simply this. Meekness is not weakness. 
meekness is not weakness. We often, uh, I don't know, I read a long time ago um, a comic strip. Uh, I can't remember the first name of the comic strip, but the second one was Milk Toast, and he was pushed around by his friends and his employees and his kids and his neighbors to the point where he went in one of the comic strips, he apologized for messing up somebody's knuckles uh, because the, the, the person's knuckles punched him in the face and it scraped his knuckles, that kind of a mentality. And uh, in, in so doing, uh, we have somewhat taken on the concept of meekness as being quiet, demure, um, you know, not willing to stand up weakness. And that's not what the Bible means by meekness. Meekness is not weakness. And in fact, <clears throat> meekness is the opposite of pride. And I think that's kind of where we get the mindset that meekness is less than something. Because we picture pride as being somebody that's boisterous, somebody that's overly even arrogant and confident. And uh, meekness and confidence, or meekness and pride, are really two sides of the same coin. It just depends on which perception you're looking at. You see, meekness is not um, meekness is the viewpoint that says I am going to be confident, but I'm not confident in myself. I'm confident in God. Where pride says I am confident in myself. I'm confident in my abilities. I'm confident in what I can do. And so pride and meekness carry the same stubbornness, if you will, the same faithfulness, the same spine, the same strength. Um, it's just that it is held in a different <clears throat> position. Meekness is held in the hands of God. Pride is held in the hands of one's <clears throat> own self. And so really the difference between being meek and being proud uh, is who are you listening to? Are you listening to yourself or are you listening to God? If you're listening to yourself and what you want and where you want to go and your desires, uh, you're being filled with pride. If you're saying, I'm going to listen and submit to what God is asking and where God is leading me, you are becoming a person of meekness. And the Bible says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that are confident in God, that will follow him and submit to him. That's what meekness is. And, and so tonight, it is imperative in the day and the age that we live in to be meek people, to be people of meekness, to carry that characteristic of Christ in the world today, not cowering in a corner, but standing for that which is right and listening to um, what God has said, standing upon the promises of the word of the Lord. The problem is, is most people are afraid of being meek because they haven't spent enough time reading the word of God and figuring out what God really is saying and wanting to have done and accomplished in their life. And so they cower away from that. And because they become uncomfortable in putting their trust in God, because they haven't spent enough time with him, they end up placing their confidence in themselves. And it, what the Bible calls it, it becomes puffed up and becomes um, somebody that is uh, filled with pride. And the Bible obviously says uh, before uh, pride cometh before a destruction or a downfall. And so that brings us over. Uh, if, if, if Jesus says, blessed are the meek, I want to be meek. I want to have that characteristic of Christ operating in me that I can hear and listen to what he is saying. Uh, Evan Roberts 
portrayed the spirit of meekness in such a way that he didn't miss serve. No matter what, he was going to follow what God was asking him to do. He was going to do what God wanted him to do. And because he was willing to do that, uh, a great revival sprang forth uh, under his leadership and his speaking, if you will. The other aspect of comparison between meekness and pride is who do you obey? Who do you obey? Do you obey God or do you obey yourself? If you obey yourself, you're disobeying God. If you're obeying God, you're disobeying yourself. And that that is a constant um, spiritual battle that we have. Read Romans 7, and we reference that quite often, but there, the, the war that Paul even had within himself um, is, is constantly a battle between what do I want and what does God want and who am I going to listen to? And not only who am I going to listen to, but who am I going to obey? Am I going to obey God or am I going to obey uh, myself? And so that brings us to this church in Pergamos. This church that we read about in Revelation chapter 2 is an interesting church. It says that Jesus understood their works and where they actually dwell. Um, the Bible says it where his Satan's seat is. And today in the atmosphere that we live in, Satan's seat can be anywhere that is in opposition to the things of Christ. It can be an actual city, state, country. It can be anything, uh, community, but it can also be a spiritual uh, aspect. Wherever there is opposition to the things of God, uh, it's where Satan is. And so... Jesus is patting Pergamus on the back saying, I know what you did, even where Satan's seat was, he had, you held to my name, you, didn't, you held fast my name, you didn't walk away from me, you didn't deny uh, your faith, you didn't, uh, even in the days when uh, uh, one of the saints that were there, Antipas, was martyred and killed, so it lets us know that the people that were part of the church of Pergamus understood that their decision to follow God was life-threatening. There was the potential of losing their actual earthly life by following the things of God. And so Jesus is commending them for that. And, but then in verse 14, he says, but I do have a few things uh, against you. And, and I want to focus on, on the one because it ties together with meekness tonight. And that is, there's some that were among you that were holding to the doctrine of Balaam and who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. Unless you understand the Old Testament and the story of Balaam in Numbers, I believe it's chapters 22 to 25, you'll, you'll not understand what the doctrine of Balaam is. Uh, or the teachings of Balaam. That's what the word doctrine means, the teachings of Balaam. Balaam's not known in Scripture, actually, as a teacher. He's known as a prophet. Um, and, and in the Old Testament, the children of Israel had been obeying the voice of God and going from city to city and to, from region to region, and God had been giving them military victories left and right, and they were eating up the, the land, and they were taking... Uh, control of where God was opening up the doors of opportunity for them. And in so doing, the king of Moab, Balak, uh, called Balaam to him and said, listen, this is what I want you to do. 
I, 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 I'm afraid, I realize that there is a supernatural component to what is happening in Israel and how Israel is conquering and, and, and being what their God had called them to be. And so he talked to Balaam and he said, Balaam, I want you to curse the children of Israel. And the Bible says that every time Balaam opened his mouth, he opened his mouth and he actually blessed Israel. Three times that happened that because they couldn't, Balaam was not allowed to, by God, was not allowed to bring a curse upon Israel. Every time he opened his mouth, he brought a blessing. This infuriated Balak, uh, the king of, of Moab. And so Balaam realized, well, there's another way around this because Balaam understood the weaknesses of the Israel people. And that is the Israelites always had a problem with lust. And when I say lust, I'm not talking um, in, in a sexual connotation. I'm talking in the lust of the flesh, the desires to please oneself, the desire to have their way, to have what they call for themselves, being very self-centered, being very proud, if you will. And, and, and so the doctrine of Balaam, Balaam went to Balak and said, this is what you need to do. And we're just going to put different things in the past to get their eyes off of what God was doing and get their eyes on what they wanted to have happen. And so a stumbling block was done and Israel became disobedient to what God had been. As long as they were obedient to God, God was giving them victory. But the minute that they stopped listening to God and were distracted and drawn away, the Bible says in James, drawn away of their lust and enticed, they stopped obeying what God was asking them to do, and they started doing what was beneficial for them and what they thought was good for them. In other words, they went from being a meek people to a proud people. And in their pride, and now Jesus is saying there are some of them in this church in Pergamos that were doing the same thing. Yes, they were trying to serve God. Yes, they hadn't denied God even where Satan dwelled. Yes, they, he, was, he was commending them for, for living in that day and that age. But at the same time, there were those that were among them that were being distracted and that were not only being distracted, but were teaching or speaking the, the doctrines of Balaam that would distract and cause disobedience to come which was the exact opposite of being meek. And so Jesus is tying together the third beatitude with this third church in Revelation and saying this is the, it's the total opposite of what uh, Jesus was, was declaring to be the course that God would have them, and that is to be meek and they would inherit. And, and Pergamos was in a situation where they were allowing pride to rise up instead of... Uh, in, instead of meekness and obedience and listening to the things of God. Because every lust, no matter what it is, always begins with a self-centeredness. And when you're self-centered, things that you see are going to be the things that make it easier for you. In other words, if, if you're going to, to have to, a choice between two, selfishly, I'm going to take the easier path than the harder path. Okay, that's not always the case with the Lord. The Lord says that there's going to be some rough patches, there's going to be some hills to climb, but the promise is that he's always with us no matter where we're at. And um, so they began to do this. And so Jesus then steps on the scene and says, so here's what you've got to do. You've got to repent. 
is what he told the Pergamon, the church in Pergamus. He said, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You see, judgment comes to the proud and and the meek, if you will, because judgment, you know, when we say the word judgment, we often think um, it's somebody that's going to come and put the hammer down on us and uh, declare something over us. But judgment is really the separating of good and bad. Judgment is the one person that holds the power to decide between good and bad, which is God. And he's saying, I'm going to bring the sword of my mouth and I'm going to use this sword to bring judgment or separation of bad and good. God always uses judgment to pass through a group of people or to pass through an individual for the purpose of separating good and evil. I'm thankful today for the judgment of Jesus Christ because Jesus took our judgment at Calvary. The Bible says it this way, he became sin for us. And so when he became sin for us, it's if you can picture um, uh, a, a magnet, the sword of God is like a magnet. And as the sword of judgment passes by us, it magnetizes all of the things that need to be pulled out from us. And so when Jesus hung on the cross and became a sin for us, his judgment at that day drew all of our sins to Calvary. And as long as we're willing to let go of the sins, the sins would be taken away and separated from us. And so sometimes we look at judgment as a negative, but oftentimes Judgment is a tool of God with his word that can separate the things that are causing us all the problems and bringing in and ushering in the goodness of God. And so Jesus is saying that not here as a threat in verse number 16, almost as a promise and a hope that if you don't get it together, I am going to bring judgment because I need to separate those people that are causing evil with those that are trying to do good because I can't dwell amongst an evil people. And so Pergamus allows this worldliness, for lack of a better term, into its midst, this self-centeredness, this pleasing of the flesh, the desires and the calendar issues, if you will, and all of the things that make us happy, make life easy for us. And, uh, you know, none of us would choose probably the path that was put upon us. We probably would all like to go back to the days of Adam and Eve before the fall and have everything, you know, done for us right there and do exactly what God didn't have free communion. Well, that's not an option anymore. We're having to do some things that we don't really necessarily enjoy in order to get through this life. We have to work at it. We have to move through it. We have to we have to do things that don't necessarily please us, but they'll please God and in pleasing God, if we are a meek people, we will end up inheriting what God wants us to have. And so the Pergamite church allowed all of this worldliness to enter in and it caused disobedience in the midst of the faithfulness that was about them. And that self and that disobedience removes us from God's protection. God wants to protect us, but the minute we chose to disobey is the moment that we step out from his protection and we make ourselves vulnerable because being proud is being unsubmissive. 
we are to be submissive to the things of God. The Bible says it this way, submit therefore yourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Once you submit, then you have power. Once you submit, you are relegating yourself in a meekness of God and that meekness will repel the advance of the enemy and the advance of the enemy is thwarted by your meekness, not by your pride. And so when you allow yourself to come under the submission of the hand of God and, the, and obeying the power and the move of God, when that takes place, you are putting up a defense mechanism, I guess is the word, that allows you to uh, repel the advancement of the enemy's kingdom. And, uh, you, you know, sometimes, well, I'll get, I'll get to that in a second. Um, meekness is the antithesis of selfishness. We are living in a day and age like never before of, a, uh, of selfishness. You know, we can label all the different sins that are prevalent in our society today and all the different things that are happening in society today, but really at the core of all them is a root of selfishness. Uh, and, and here's the scary thing about that is selfishness is the original sin. Even before Eve and Adam, the selfishness of Lucifer before he was cast out of the, of the heavens, he said, I want to be like God. Uh, in fact, he said, I'm going to be above God. He, he, it, it's a selfish mentality. It is a pride filled mentality. And we have uh, taken on that mindset in a lot of ways in the world. And in the world, that mindset of selfishness has seeped into everything that we do. And, every, and, and the problem with that is that's what ignites pride, is when I want to do what I want to do. You know, God forbid you change the schedule on me. You know, God forbid you don't do it my way. Um, God forbid that, you know, I have to pay a price. I have to suffer. I have to work at something. It should all just be handed to me. And uh, that is all an attitude of selfishness, which is not a characteristic of God. Paul tells us this way in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but became obedient even to the death of the cross, uh, became like you and I. Christ gave up everything that was rightfully his so that you and I would have an opportunity. It, it, there is that, that is meekness. And meekness comes when we're able to say, like Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but thy will be done. And that's not always easy, obviously, because sometimes our God's will for us is to go through some things. Uh, sometimes it's to go through some things to teach us something, to knock some of the rough edges off of us, to mold us and, and shape us. Uh, like the old, um, they, would, they would put the gold on the heat until all of the the debris came to the top and then they would skim it off and you'd have the pure gold. So sometimes it's a refining mechanism for us. Sometimes it's a corrective measure for us. Uh, sometimes God allows us to go through things because he knows somebody that's going to watch you go through it 
and you're going to suffer so that somebody else can see the face of God in your suffering. Okay, that's meekness. And not only is that meekness, that is powerful. It is powerful when you realize that the creator of all creation will take the time to refine us, to care enough for us to correct us, and to trust us enough to use us to speak to somebody else's life. Uh, you've heard me say it oftentimes. Uh, I've mentioned different people that have uh, influenced me as a person, influenced me as a minister, and in dealing with different situations and seeing different things and going to different directions, um, all because of somebody that has God has allowed to go through them and we like to call them mentors, we like to call them friends, we like to call them teachers, uh, but really what they are is instruments that they have allowed themselves to be used as a conduit of God's grace to me personally. And I've watched them walk uh, a path that, that wasn't easy, that had they chosen it, uh, they wouldn't have chosen that path, but I've seen the grace with which they've walked it, and it's challenged me and encouraged me that I can walk that same kind of path and endure the same kind of thing that they did in order to be touched by God and to allow God to touch somebody else. Now, meekness is not a decision to be made. In other words, I can't wake up tomorrow morning and decide, okay, I'm going to be meek. Uh, I wish it would be easy. But I can make a decision that says I'm going to submit myself to God. Your submission to God always begins with a decision. And we become meek by consistently deciding to be obedient to the things of God and to listen and to follow after God. To have that characteristic that says, I must be about my father's business. That characteristic that says, I have come not to those that are well, but to those who are sick. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. To have that mindset that says, I'm going to do what God is asking me to do in order for me to be as effective as I can be in God, no matter what the personal cost to me is. Evan Roberts, that I referenced at the beginning of this lesson tonight, he paid a dear sacrifice in order to, the sacrifice of ridicule, of rejection, of having to walk to church on a consistent basis, to have to, to pay that ultimate price and and, and be walking and, and talking with God when it would have been easier to go and do what he wanted to do. And there's things that, that we do that I, I wish we could say, let's just do it this way because it's easy this way. And the problem is, is God's not calling us to do it the easy way. He's calling us to do it his way. And because his way is not always easy, that's why he promised that I'd be, he'd be with us even until the end. Um, I read a story a couple of days ago, actually, um, about a horse race out in New England. And uh, the winner of the, these horse races would get their, the horse's picture would be in the paper the next day. And underneath the picture, um, it would say, um, uh, I lost my play. It would say the meekness horse underneath the picture, meekness horse. And there was a gentleman that asked that he didn't get that. He didn't understand why the champion of the race 
no matter what the name of the horse was, would be called the meekness horse uh, in the paper the next day. And this was the statement that was given to that person. He said, the reason why we call the winner of the race the meekness horse is because the one that is completely submitted to its master always wins the race. The one that is completely submitted to his master always wins the race. I don't know about you, but when the time comes, I want to win the race. And the only way to win the race is to be completely submitted to the master. And Jesus is my master. I want to be submitted to him. If he says jump, I want to jump. If he says cry, I want to cry. If he says weep and suffer, I want to do that. If he says to rejoice and be happy, I want to do that. I want to be completely moldable and pliable in the hands of God. And that, my friend, is the spirit of meekness. And when you have the spirit of meekness, you are empowered by God to uh, do some things and be something that you could never be on your own. And the church in Pergamos, as good as they were doing and standing up against the spirit of the enemy, they still had selfishness and they still had lust within the camp. And, and so Jesus is saying, yeah, you're doing a great job, spiritual warfare, you're doing a great, but you've become proud. You have become self-centered. And, and, and I pray that it's never said of us. Yes, they were good spiritual warriors. Yes, they worshiped and praised the right way. But there was those that were filled with pride and self-centeredness. I pray that God comes and looks at us and says, there are some meek people that I'm willing and capable of using. And so I am going to endue them with power from on high and use them for, his, for my kingdom. That's my prayer tonight is God, let me be so meek, so obedient to you, so confident in you and not in my own abilities that you can use me in a mighty, mighty way. You see, pride says it this way, or worldliness, pride and worldliness, kind of the same thing. It's, it, it asks the question this, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And uh, I am concerned, I guess is the word, I'm, uh, I've watched through the years that even churches have allowed, like Pergamos, has allowed this worldly question or this pride-filled question what's in it for me in fact there's church growth tools they'll there are if you go and google church growth tools you'll find tools and and programs and events that will take the things of the world and try to adapt them and the church ends up walking such a fine line between actual worldliness and godliness that it's blended and you can't tell if you're tr we're not trying as Christians, or we shouldn't be trying as Christians, to reach a people to be blended with the world, we are calling people to step out of the world and into a brand new kingdom. God didn't raise us to just be a blending in uh, people, if you will. We're, we're not just another um, uh, group of people that uh, that God wants to walk both sides of the fence and be as close to the world as we can and as close to that that's now the bible says it this way we should be strangers and foreigners in this world strangers and foreigners we should not feel comfortable here 
The day we begin to feel comfortable here is the day that we're not doing what God wants us to do. If we're feeling uncomfortable, if we're feeling challenged, if we're, because comfortable asks the question, what's in it for me? Okay. When I come home after a long day's work, I'm not looking for the, the strongest folding chair to sit in. I'm looking for my lazy boy. I'm looking for the chair that I can sit in and relax and feel good because that's that that's it's selfish. But it, it, God is saying, I'm not here for your for your comfort. I'm not here for for you to to be settled and and for you to to find your place in the world. I'm here for you to find your place in my kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world, so you're never going to be comfortable in this world. But if you are meek to listen to my voice, to listen to my call, to walk after me, I will take you into the depths of my kingdom that will blow your mind. And I believe that we have entered a season in this uh, society that we're in, this time frame that we're in, that the biggest battle that is happening is the battle between selfishness and godliness, worldliness and godliness, pride and meekness. And God is calling those uh of us who, who are wanting to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, and Christ-like, he's calling us to figure out how to be meek. And the only way that the scripture shows us how to be meek is to say, Lord, I die before you. I repent. Repentance is a type of death. I die, my agenda dies, my dreams die, my aspirations die, and I'm going to delight myself in you, and you replace those desires in my heart that you want to have there, and I want to follow after you, put the bit in my mouth and the bridle on my, uh, on my back and begin to steer me and to control me. You do that, God. I don't want to control my, my, my direction any longer, my path. Any, I want to walk the path that you've chosen. I want to be pliable in your hands so that my pride diminishes and your spirit uh, increases. Uh, John the Baptist said it the right way. I must decrease so he can increase. And, and that's how we've got to live our lives. Lord, let me decrease and you increase because meekness asks this question, not what's in it for me, but what's in it for him. Not even for other people. What's in it for him? What can I do today that will bring God glory? What can I do today that will enhance his kingdom? What can I do today that will please him? What can I do today that will empower him to release his goodness into my life? That's meekness. And that's why Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's, it's quite a characteristic of God. I mean, you think, about, you think about what God has done for us from the very beginning of time. He created time so that you and I have time. He created mercy so that you and I could have mercy. He created grace so that you and I could have grace. He created judgment so that you and I could have judgment. Judge that which is bad and, and good and remove the bad and keep the good. It's, it's right judgment. Judgment, you, you know, we hear the, the, the phrase, judge not that you be not judged. Well, judgment is a, it, it can be a good thing in our own lives. Judge that which is good and bad and get rid of the bad. If I recognize that I have selfishness in certain areas that spring up from time to time, I want to judge that and I want to take it and remove it. And, and I want to replace it with the power and a presence of submission to God. 
my prayer tonight is, uh, through this lesson is in the last couple that have been about this topic of the characteristics of, of God from the Beatitudes and from the churches in, in the book of Revelation. My prayer is this. Take the commendations of the churches in Revelation and remove the, I have somewhat against thee, statements. I want to repent so that the statement that says, man, you are involved in spiritual warfare. You've not given up on my name. You've stood strong, but you've allowed pride to settle. I want that to be gone. I want it to just say, I have seen what you have done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Way to, to allow me to lead you and guide you. And uh, I believe that if, if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to take on these spirits, we talked about the spirit of poverty, if you will, or the poor in spirit. We talked about the spirit of those that mourn or the spirit of suffering a couple of weeks ago. And if we take on those spirits, it's not a cowering over uh, being overcome by the things around us. It's really an elevating of the spirit of God in us as we become meek, as we become submitted to him and listening and obeying to his call the more powerful we become. And I believe that Satan is trembling in his tracks when he recognizes a group of people that are willing to say, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my, not for my pleasure, but for his pleasure. And uh, I close with this. There's a saying that you often hear in politics once you work in an administration, no matter which administration it is. And that statement is, you know, I serve at the pleasure of the President of the United States, or I serve at the pleasure of. And tonight I want to echo, or cause an echo, that says I serve at the pleasure of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I serve at the pleasure of the Master from on high. The God that created everything, that's who I want to serve. Am I going to cower in a corner because I'm not able? No, I may not be able in my own self, but I have enough confidence in him to know that if he is calling me and asking me to do something, he has already equipped me to do it. He's already empowered me to do what he's asked me to do. And so I'm going to step forward boldly in that thing that he's asking. If it means to be praying, if it means to be speaking, if it means to be evangelizing, testifying, if it means to be interceding, whatever God is calling us to do today, if it means to have a spirit of hospitality, if it means whatever God is, is speaking into your spirit, if he is speaking that into your spirit, it's because he's already equipped you to do so. And if you'll submit to him, you will allow the meekness of God to overwhelm your spirit and you will become a pliable force in the hands of of an almighty God. Praise God. Thank you for being with us tonight. My challenge to you this week is to seek God's face and say, God, just make me pliable. Just make, I want to submit. I, I'm making a decision, God. Teach me how to submit to you. Teach me how to listen to you so that I can become exactly what you want me to become. Jesus, I'm thankful tonight that we've been able to be together online. I'm praying, God, for each person that listens to this message, whether it be through the podcast, online. I, I, I'm, I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to raise up an army of meek men and women, Lord God, that have submitted themselves to you. Lord, I come against the spirit of selfishness and pride. Lord, and I ask you to help us to overcome that by 
submitting ourselves to you daily, repenting daily, dying like the apostle says daily. I'm asking you, Lord, to use each person. Lord, as we go forward from this hour and this day, allow us to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, and help us to walk in the power and the admonition of your spirit. We'll be careful to give you glory and honor and praise. Bless each person that hears this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for those of you that joined us on Facebook and on uh, YouTube later and on our podcast. We're so thankful that you're with us. We look forward to being with you on Sunday as well. God bless you and have a great, great week.